Lord God, I believe that you are here among us this morning. And you want to do a work in us. You have truth, deeper truth that you want to lead us into. Truth that will transform us. Lord, I pray that the scales would come off our eyes so we can see you and we can see your kingdom. That you would soften our hearts to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that our desire for you and your truth would grow even now. We would receive with eagerness, Lord, what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. There are lots of moral people in the world, people who live by standards, by rules, people who do what they should, and that's lovely, isn't it? Don't we all want to live in a structured, moral society? Well, I do. There's a tendency to think of Christianity as a structured, moral system that instructs people on how to live, what they should and shouldn't do to please God and make sure they get into heaven. As if God is pleased by works and they can earn their salvation. Even though I believe that most of us here would probably reject the theology of that, I think we often live like it's true. We do this by holding ourselves and others to a standard that no one but Christ has ever been able to live by and judging them for it. And by missing the point of the law altogether, living to earn his favor and his love. Now we probably don't think about it in those terms, but when we look at how we, how we live, I think that often bears true. Jesus encountered a classic case of this with a wealthy young man. And the story, And it is a story, it's a recounting of a real incident, it's not a parable, we find in Mark chapter 10. If you've got scriptures with you, we can take a second for you to turn to it so you can see it for yourself. Mark chapter 10, from verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have 
and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The young man lived a moral life. Moral enough, he thought, to have earned his salvation. But his morality was a facade. For though he had abstained from committing the more obvious sins against his neighbors, like murder and theft and adultery and fraud, perjury and dishonoring his parents, he had failed in the first and most important of the commandments. The first is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I haven't perjured my neighbor in court. Is that enough? I haven't killed anyone recently. Is that enough? You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus perceived what the young man's God was. And he asked him to give it up. One thing you lack, he said, go everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. No one can have two masters, Jesus said in Matthew 6.24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Having spent the last couple of months researching and writing a series on the gospel and evangelism, I find it very interesting that when the young man asked Jesus what he needed to do to receive eternal life, Jesus didn't say, believe in me. He didn't say, repent and be baptized. He didn't say, confess your sins and declare me as Lord. He said, give away your money. 
Now, that's not usually the way that we invite people to follow Jesus. That is never the way we ever invite anyone to come and follow Jesus. If that was our model for evangelism, I'd be preaching to an empty room this morning. But that's what Jesus said to this young man. Jesus could see that this young man was not ready to receive the new life that he was offering because the young man loved his old life too much. We too can and do struggle with the same thing, letting go of the old. Here's the thing. Like the rich young ruler, we can think we are doing the right thing. We can have the appearance of doing the right thing, but the whole time we are missing what the thing actually is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said in Matthew 7, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The point is, it's not what you do. It's about who you know and who you are becoming in him. What you do will flow out of who you are. As the Trappist monk and writer Thomas Merton put it this way, a life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. No man can serve two masters. Your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. A Pharisee once asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Can we truly say that we love God with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our soul, and with all our strength. It turns out the rich young ruler couldn't. And I wonder whether we're fooling ourselves if we think we are. You see, love is not fulfilled by checking boxes. Salvation prayer, check. Church attendance, check. Bible reading, Check. Tithing. Check. Speak in tongues. Check. Don't murder your boss. Check. I don't know. I, th- I think about checking boxes all the time. I feel good once I've done something, thinking like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't analyze it, but I've had this feeling that when I'm performing religious services, preach the truth, check. That's a big check. God must be stoked with me. 
I'm laying it down hard today. Check. This doesn't please him. It's like expecting uh, a special reward from your boss for doing what your job is. It's what your job is. You're not doing anyone any favors, doing what you're supposed to do. When we are growing in our love for God and others, these things will be the natural outcomes of the supernatural work that he is doing in us. We will be drawn every week to gatherings like this and to life group, not because this is what Christians do and we're supposed to be here, but because we can't help but want to be in God's presence and be around his people, to be somewhere where his word will be preached and to worship with the community of God. It's not a should, it's a desire bursting out of us that the Holy Spirit grows in us. We will be drawn to seek God in the Bible every day, not because we think that is what a Christian should do, but because a heart pointed towards God is hungry, starving for his word. It's not a should, it's a I can't help but do it. We will tithe and give financial offerings into God's kingdom, not because we believe that that's what God's law dictates, but because we have a desire to honor God with everything he has given us. And because we love God more than we love money. Unfortunately for him, the rich young man did not love God more than wealth. And so he couldn't give it up. And he walked away. And before we shake our head and wag our finger and think, oh, what an idiot. I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) I bet you would. I've thought about it. I've thought about this over the last week, preparing this, this message, and I've come to the conclusion that I would do exactly what he did. If I had lived his life, he's a young man, a wealthy young man. Now, this is before the age of of internet startups where you can become a billionaire in a week. He didn't earn his wealth. He grew up in it. He inherited it. The only life he had ever known is a life of privilege, of favor, of comfort. Matthew talks about him being a ruler, probably in the synagogue. He had authority. He had position. Jesus was asking him to give all of that up to join his ragtag gang of of misfits sleep rough in the countryside hoping in the generosity of others so they have food tonight give all that up if I had been him would have I thrown all that away and said yeah sounds good yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I would. So I'm not going to judge him. What I want to do is see what of him is still in me. Jesus asked a lot of this young man, but he doesn't ask any less of us. Have you really given up your old life? Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Have you really forsaken your old priorities and ambitions to pursue the destiny that God has for you? Following Jesus is really easy. 
when you only follow the bits that are convenient for you. It's not really following. That's not true repentance. And that's not real love. Loving God requires forsaking all else. He must be our only God. There can be no idols. There can be no caveats on our commitment. We cannot have two masters. We have to choose. God or money. God or my career. God or my family. Ambition or his kingdom. God tests us. He positions us and puts choices before us, giving us the opportunity to choose him. But he's not cruel. But he's asking for complete devotion. He asked Abraham to give up his most prized possession, his son. It turns out that Isaac was not his most prized possession. It turned out that his God above was his most prized possession and he gave what was asked of him. And our God, who was not cruel, did not take what was asked. He was seeking a heart desperate for him. And so he gave him not just his son, but nations that call him father. But Abraham, to receive his destiny, to receive the promise God had for him, had to be prepared to give whatever God asked of him, even to his son. The the account of the rich young man, it, it isn't about money. It could have been about any other idol that holds people back from God. The truth in the story is that religious people fool themselves thinking that their moral living and observance of the law is what it takes to be reconciled to God and to fulfill his law. We cannot fulfill his law. Jesus, it turns out, has fulfilled it for us. Only in him can we be reconciled. What is required of us, though, is the wholesale surrender of everything that we have. We must be prepared to give up whatever is asked of us as we accept the truth that all that we have, including our lives, is his, is from him. We are giving back to him what is his. That is what it means for Jesus to be our Lord. But that is not the truth that many in the church have accepted. This was not the gospel that many heard and responded to. Some were told that accepting Christ would make them happy. And that God would fix all their problems. Some were told that God would heal them. That he would make them wealthy and successful. 
if they would give their lives to him and tithe and whatever else they were told to do. Some were told, if you just pray this prayer after me, everything will be okay. That is not the gospel that Jesus and the apostles preached. Jesus asked them for their lives. Not figuratively. Actually, they died. Not spiritually, or not just spiritually. They were persecuted, tortured, and killed. They paid the ultimate sacrifice because that was what was asked of them. But what they inherited was eternal life and riches in heaven, not earth, riches that moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And that's the irony of this young man's choice. He was holding on to earthly wealth and position that he could not hold on to. Forsaking heavenly wealth and favor and position that last forever. The young man couldn't see the kingdom. All he could see was law and the easy comfort of his life. He was looking not for the hard truth of the gospel, but a religious compromise that would enable him to hold on to his old life and still somehow secure an eternal one. The young man thought he could serve two masters. But it doesn't work that way. I know that this truth has not been universally accepted here at The Rock because as, as Mike illustrated this morning, in a community of mostly middle-class people, we are struggling to pay our bills. And many of our ministries are strag- struggling for lack of volunteers. So for some reason, people are withholding financial giving and service. And I don't, I don't know why that is. But the, the purpose of this message is not to convict you to give more. That was the purpose of Mike's message. My, my message has nothing to do with money. Just as Jesus' message to this young man was nothing to do with money. Sure, we'd like to see those outcomes, but only as the fruit of what God is doing in us. My intent this morning is to challenge you to examine your surrender to God and assess whether you have given him what he has asked of you. Or have you found a compromise where you only need to surrender as much as you're comfortable with? (laughs) Believe me, as Greg was, was alluding to earlier, God is not the least bit interested in your comfort. In all of my dealings with the Lord, he has proved me time and time again, he doesn't care how comfortable I am. His interest is not our comfort, but our conforming to his will and to the likeness of his son, which, from my experience, is decidedly uncomfortable all the time. It's uncomfortable because... To be conformed to his will and the likeness of his son 
there is this raging battle within me between my sinful nature of flesh and with his spirit. It is a painful process because I'm fighting him the whole way. But he's stronger than me. And so bit by bit, I surrender. And I am conformed more and more to him. And then the fruit starts to come. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus in sadness because he couldn't give up his idol, his earthly security and comfort. But you don't need to walk away. God has grace for our humanity, for our flesh, and he understands our struggle. And he will walk faithfully with us to see our minds renewed and the revelation of his kingdom living in us. We need to walk that journey with him, though. We need to allow him to shine the light of his truth on our darkness and lead us out of it. And that will mean sacrifice. That will mean surrender. And that will mean repentance. As he shines his light on what is dark in us, he gives us a choice to give it up. And maybe we're not ready to deal with it all right now. But he is patient. And he is gracious. And he loves us. And he's not going to walk away from us. Surrender and repentance start with intent. They start with a choice, a decision that is then lived out over the course of our life on earth. If you have intent this morning, if you have a desire to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, then that is a start, and God can work with that. Our commitment to him is to allow him to work in us so that the confession of our mouth becomes a reality in our heart and in our lives. See, I've made a lot of commitments to the Lord. Let's start with that. Start with a desire. Here's something that I want, and I'll confess that to him and declare it, knowing that the reality is not there within my grasp as yet, but knowing he is faithful to lead me to where I want to be. But where I want to be has got to be the right place. And I'm not talking about a celestial kingdom and treasures in heaven that sounds great but the real reward is him him and so if that is my goal a deep intimate transformative relationship with the living god i will get there he will lead me there and everything else will come The questions I put before you this morning to consider this week are these. Do you have any gods or idols that are holding you back from full surrender to God? Has morality and law-keeping become a substitute for a real relationship with God? What do you want more? God's plan for your life and eternity or what you've worked out for yourself? David prays at the end of Psalm 139. 
Seek me, Lord, and know me. See if there is any anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Search us out, Lord. Help us to see what it is that is holding us back from you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, build in us a desire for you that we could throw off the encumbrances that are holding us back, fixing our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord Jesus. Running the race with perseverance, Lord, to receive the prize. The prize that is you. I pray, Lord, that the reality of our need for you, the emptiness in us that only you can fill, Lord, would would just grow. That our awareness of it, Lord, would drive us, Lord, to seek you and you alone. Knowing that you are faithful, Lord, to meet everyone who seeks you faithfully. If we are not, Lord, to repeat the mistake of this rich young man, Lord, we need faith and courage beyond what we have. And so I pray, Lord, for a bigger deposit. That your spirit would awaken in us, fan into flame a greater faith and a courage that comes from that to step out into the unknown to make sacrifices, to give what is asked so that we can receive what is promised. I know, Lord, this is only the fruit of your Spirit working in me, working in us. And so, I, Lord, my intent now is to surrender myself to your work. And if that is your intent as well, you can say amen with me. Amen. I'm going to fire those questions and a few other thoughts out uh, to the life groups this week. And and uh, I hope that the Lord has planted something in you for, for you to meditate this week and allow Him to take that seed and grow it into something that that will do something special in you. This starts with, with a decision, with an intent, but it really does require every day laying down self and taking up Christ. And so let's do a bit more of that tomorrow. Eh? Thank you. Quite a bit to chew over, eh?